remain standing for a moment as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, this morning we give you the glory. This morning, Father Lord, we want to shout your power to our nation. So much grief, so much pain. But God, I want to thank you because on this Palm Sunday, we raise up Jesus. We rejoice in knowing our Lord and our Savior. God, we glorify you today. And I pray, Father, Lord, this morning as we gather, Lord, let the fame of your name, God, go up. Be glorified and be exalted. Father, speak to our hearts, O God. And use us, O God, for your glory. Even as we go out, Lord, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, Lord, into our workplaces, dear God, that you will help us to shout out your name, that you are able. You are good and you are kind. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Worship team, good morning. Hallows Edmonds. My name is uh, Peter Gatata. Uh, for those who may be visiting, um, I do get to help on stage every now and then. And today is my turn to do that. So... But thank you for being so welcoming to me and my family. Uh, thank you for being so accepting uh, to me and my family. It's always a blessing to be in the presence of God's people. Uh, God is doing a wonderful thing in our church. I uh, hope you can sense it. I hope you can feel it. And uh, I hope we can all stick together and uh, see where God is going to lead us. Because I believe that uh, we have uh, better days and greater days ahead of us. God is good. God is going to lead us into great places. That's my, my, my trust and my prayer. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, this is the beginning of uh, Holy Week. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, many, many churches uh, uh, who observe uh, the liturgical calendar might have palms. You might see palms uh, all over the place, but uh, this is what uh, this Sunday commemorates. It's a beginning of our of the Lord's Passion Week. And passion is really about the suffering of Christ, uh, what Christ had to endure for us. Uh, this is that week that we just press into Him and just reflect on what He's done for us. And our passage today will be coming from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. It is a passage that is uh, typically read on a day like this, uh, on a Palm Sunday. And I will read it for us and we will uh, uh, see what we can gather from this text. It's, uh, it's a historical narrative. Uh, it doesn't have any explicit commands, but uh, there's some lessons we can draw from it, especially as we go into this week. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes we kind of wonder in our heads, how can, I, how can I observe the Passion Week? How can I get my heart at a place where I'm ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday? Uh, so I'm hoping that God will speak to us through these uh, few verses from Matthew 21. Verses 1 to 11, and here they go. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, Say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. 
tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed, directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. May God bless his word as we look into it this morning. I've heard a story of a little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday and stayed home from church with his mom. His father returned from church holding a palm branch. The little boy was curious and asked, Dad, why do you have that palm branch? His dad said, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today. The little boy replied, oh, shucks. The one day I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. <laughs> I hope this morning, by God's grace, that Jesus is going to show up in here like he showed up. On this day in Jerusalem. This was a glorious and magnificent day in the history of the Jewish people. And uh, we know now that the king that God was sending was the Lord Jesus Christ. And this being that our faith has Jewish roots, we go back all the way to the Old Testament in the time of King David. When Israel came from Egypt, you know, God was their king. God was their ruler. God was their leader. But at some point after their deliverance from Egypt, they decided, we want a king like the other nations. And this made Samuel very mad. He was the prophet or the priest at that time. And so God told Samuel, you know, you know, it's okay. Just do what they say. It's not you that they are rejecting. They are rejecting me. And so God allowed them to choose a king to lead them. And Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel. And if you've read the story in the book of Samuel, you know how that ended up. He ended up being going astray from God's rulership. But then came David. And David is, is, is this young king who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. And part of his campaign, part of his leadership, he really wanted to do great things for God. His heart was after God. And at some point in his palace, he said, God, I really want to build you a house. I want to build a temple for you. I want to build a place for you to dwell. But God came back to David and said, you know, I do not need a house to dwell in. But I will be the one building a house for you. I'm going to raise up a king for your house. Your house will never lack 
a king to sit on the throne. And 2 Samuel 7, 14 is that Davidic promise from God about a future king that would come. And this king would be a child of God. This king would be sent from God. He would be picked by God. And this is the hope that Israel always had as they lived out their lives in worship. They had an expectancy of a king. And now we know from Bible history that Jesus is this king. He is the king that God had promised for thousands and thousands of years ago. And on this day in Jerusalem, God was going to inaugurate this king. He was going to lift up this king. But it is not the king that the people were expecting. Rather than come with a prancing war horse, Jesus chooses a donkey. And it was surprising to everybody. Instead of coming as a military uh, king, he came as a humble king. He came as a gentle king. And we know in the life and the ministry of Jesus, he exemplified that humility. And so this morning from this text, I'm hoping we can at least gather a few things from the story. What can we learn from, from this example of Jesus as our King and Savior? And I hope that by maybe the end of this message, we'll, we'll be able to learn how we ourselves can practice humility as it has been exemplified by Christ. Look with me again in verses 1 to 3. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. And you know, what I've, from what I've, I've been reading on some commentaries, there was nothing degrading in riding on a donkey as might perhaps be inferred from the, from the prophecy we're going to look at, Zechariah 9.9. You know, this was a sign of Jesus' peaceful mission. Kings and high priests, judges, and other richest people of ancient and modern times, they all rode donkeys. And many of the donkeys of Damascus, of Baghdad, Aleppo, Cairo, Cyprus, and other parts of the east, they are beautiful Animals, easy in gait and perfectly sure-footed. And they often cost high prices and are adorned with magnificent trappings. So there was nothing unusual for the, for the Lord to ride on a donkey. I've seen a joke out there on Facebook, you know, uh, the two donkeys, you know, here, here's a conversation. I don't know whether it's, you know, one of the donkeys that was carrying Jesus said, Wow, yesterday I was carrying Jesus on my back. People were hailing me and screaming me. People even threw their clothes for me to walk on. But today, no one even recognizes me. The second donkey smiled and said to him, hmm, Don't you know that you are nothing without Jesus? And truly it is. What made Jesus great is his humility. In his life and in his ministry, he exemplified this humble nature. For example, as the sovereign servant of God, as the shepherd who would be struck by God, in his 
servant attitude. He displayed this humility. In his upbringing, as he was growing up in Nazareth, in Galilee, in his obedience to his human parents, in his acceptance of the cross, and in his relationship with other people. Just look at how he worked with beggars and lepers, how he was kind to children, and even outcasts. He would touch them. He was not afraid of them. This was an, ex an example of his humble nature. And this is what I believe makes our faith so unique and appealing to others. Because our faith focuses on others. We try our best to put other people's needs ahead of our needs. And that is what Christ did for us. True humility, like that of Christ, focuses on other people. And I believe this passage, as we read here, Christ and God Cause us to adopt an attitude of lowliness and obedience. We know who we are. We know our standing in God. But yet, we choose to take humility. We choose to be humble. I love this verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. This is probably one of the, one of the greatest passages about the humility of Christ that we read in the Bible. This is what Paul says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what happens when, when we humble ourselves before God. There comes a time when God will lift us up. And it's exemplified in Jesus' example. I mean, Jesus, he pre-existed as God in heaven. And I can imagine just the conversation between the triune God. As God is working out his plan of salvation. And Jesus will, willfully says, yes, Father, I will do it. I will go. I will be that suffering servant. And that's the humility that our Savior exemplified everywhere he went and everything that he did. For him to lay aside his divinity and put on humanity, that was wearing a robe of humility. And I'm hoping maybe this week, as we observe our Passion Week, maybe we can look for ways where we can practice humility with each other. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, um, maybe at the store. Like, like just, just do one act of humility as a way of honoring Christ this Passion Week.
as he did to us. So we, can, we, we not only see in this passage that example of Christ's humility, but we also see the love of the Father displayed. The love of the Father displayed. This took place, verses 45, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, this, one of the things that blessed my heart so much is to think about, about the plan of God. I mean, God, God from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they sinned against him. And, and yet God graciously and mercifully clothed them with his love and with his grace. And history has been God relentlessly pursuing us. Even when we sin against him. Even when Israel was consistently rebellious. God would always show up. Have you ever read the book of Judges? And you see. That Israel, there was a moment when they were incredibly wicked. And God gave up on them. But God would, they would cry out to God. And God would graciously hear his, their voices. And he would come and rescue them. And God would make these predictions and promises about a future restoration of their relationship. And that's behind every prophecy. As this prophecy we see here. And if you've read the, uh, Matthew's gospel, that word fulfill is used frequently. You know, Matthew was a Jew. And so as he is reliving the events of Jesus' life, he makes connections back to the Old Testament. All these promises and predictions that had been made about the Messiah. And, and he keeps on repeating in his book... This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Even in our passage today, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was prophesied. God had said, this is how your king will come. Humble, gentle, he is lowly. And I love the fact that in every promise is that is, is that of a flowing love of God. God is good. God is loving. God is, is awesome. All the promises that he has given us today. We have amazing promises. I love the promise where God says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I mean, there are some incredible promises that we can hang on to today. That God has said, it's going to be okay. When we invite Jesus into our lives, he comes and brings his peace. He gives us his joy. We become victorious according to the promises of God. So the love of God is displayed by his fulfillment of his promise. God is trustworthy. If you're having difficulty, maybe trust in God, and you don't know whether the God is really good. And then I can understand that life, life, life sometimes throws curveballs in our, in our path. And, and we wonder, God, are you really good? Look, look at our world today. You know, I mean, you read the news and it's, it's just so sad. It's bad news after bad news after bad news. 
And it's, it's, not, it's not difficult to imagine. God, are you there? God, are you good? And if you are good, why so much evil in our world? So many promises of God's redemption. Christ, that's why God sent Jesus Christ. He came as our mediator. God's love is displayed in Jesus as our mediator. And I believe this is why John 3.16 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Great verse. Great promise. And behind that is God's love. I love you. And I can prove my love to you by what I've done. I have given my own son. And that's why the story of Abraham and Isaac, God told Abraham, go and sacrifice your own son. It was a picture of what God would do with Jesus in the future. And Abraham willingly, willingly said, God, if you say so, I will. Because he trusted in the goodness of God. And God would not have asked Abraham to do something that God himself would not do. And he did it through Jesus. God's love was demonstrated. This is how God demonstrates his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a, this is a week of great celebration and joy. Praise his name. His love is awesome and amazing. We can trust the love of God. And he has shown that by sending the king, Jesus Christ. We love because he first loved us. He, we love. That's, you know, I don't know about you. I didn't grow up loving God. But one day I heard about his love. I heard about how much he loved me so much that he gave up his son, Jesus. And I said, wow, what? I've never heard of anything like that in my life. I want to give him, I want to give him a shot. I want to try this God. And lo and behold, my life has never been the same. Your life has never been the same. Because you and I have responded to that love of God. And so we love him because he first loved us. He floods our hearts with his love. And so sending Jesus was an act of love. That's what he did for us. For God so loved the world. And I don't know if there's anybody here who's never taken that step of faith to embrace the love of God. I encourage you this morning, God loves you. And he has proven it, that he loves you by giving up his very own son. And Jesus knows what awaited him. This is why I love Jesus. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He kept telling everybody. He kept telling his disciples, guys, when I get to Jerusalem, there is my end. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer greatly. I will be, I will be beaten. I will be hung up on a cross. And, but three days later, I will get up. I will arise. Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem, and he was not afraid to do it. He, was, he is our courageous warrior. He is our courageous king. Yes, he is humble, gentle, lowly, but boy, he is courageous. 
He walked into that hornet's nest. He knew what awaited him in that city of his death. But yet, the love of God in him compelled him to keep on going. To keep on going. And I believe sometimes God will push us and place us in places where it's uncomfortable. But God knows it's going to be okay. When Jesus got to Jerusalem, what did they do to him? They only killed his body. They couldn't take his soul. And that's what he tells us. Do not be afraid of those who kill only the physical body. The one you should fear is God in heaven. Who after killing your body can cast it into hell. And our Savior was not afraid. But it is love of God that compelled him. Kept on going. We love because God has loved us. Amen. That's why we love. We share that love with other people. See, in our passage today, we see the love of God exemplified. The love of the humility of Jesus exemplified. But also the love of God displayed. You know, I have two daughters. And I never knew that I would, I would have the kind of love I have for them. Um. And it's, it's, it's incredible when, when you have kids, maybe someday, um, or you love someone so much, it's, there's something that happens there as a father to daughters that uh, no matter what they do, boy, there is, there is a love there that is, that would ne- that's not, that's not going away. And, and I believe this is what God is doing by calling Zion daughter. I mean, Zion, Jerusalem, the Israelites, they were not desirable when they were walking away from God. They were not desirable. No, but God called them daughter, daughter Zion. Your king is coming. He's going to bring a restoration between us. He's going to reconcile us. It's an amazing God calls us sons and daughters. Amen. As many as received him, he gave them the right and the power to be called the children of God. That's what you and I are. We are children of the most high God. We are the children of the Most High God. And He addresses us kindly and compassionately. Daughter Zion. Daughter Edmonds. Daughter Edmonds. See, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Another thing we can see here, we see number one, the love the humility of Jesus exemplified, the love of the Father displayed, but we also see an attitude of worship being formed. What do I mean by that? Look with me, verses 6 through 9. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road, Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We don't hear that word Hosanna used frequently today. But it is commonly used in worship services uh, on Palm Sunday like today. But it's it's a word with Hebrew origin. And this is what it means. It means, it means in one sense to save, 
And on the other sense, it means to beg. Save us, we pray, O Lord. And literally, Hosanna means, I beg you to save. I beg you to deliver us. But throughout in, hist in Christian history, it has also been used as a word of praise. So the crowds recognize that Jesus is able to save them. And they call upon him. They address him as the Messiah. Hosanna, we beg you, please save us. You know, later that day when Jesus went into the temple, there were children present. I know you love kids. And kids were also shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The young kids were praising Jesus. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were displeased. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you read? Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? Lord, have, have called forth your praise? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. It is impossible to silence someone who has experienced the saving power of Jesus. And I believe this is why new believers are the church's best kept secret. If you want to grow a church, new believers cannot stop talking about their faith in Jesus. They have, they have unsaved friends and they go telling them, I remember when I was, I was, uh, I was uh, the Lord was working in my heart. I used to puff cigarettes with a bunch of boys and I would tell them, you know, guys, the day that I come to Jesus, it's going to be the happiest day of my life. And that day came and, uh, and I told them, I went to them, guys, no, I, 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 can't, I can't do that stuff with you anymore. I, 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 I found Jesus or Jesus found me. It could, I could not stop talking about Jesus. And so, and so they, you know, of course, call me some names, you know, whatever. But they say, we'll give you three months. Let's just give him a couple of days, man. He's going to calm down. No, it's been many years since I gave my life to Jesus in college. But it is impossible to silence people. When you see someone in church raise up their hand in praise and worship, when you see them shout hallelujah, they've been somewhere with God. God's been working in their heart. They, God has done something great in them. You cannot silence them. And we need to encourage that worship and praise and freedom. It's okay to say, to say amen. It's okay to stand up and say hallelujah. Why? Because of what God has done in us. You cannot help but praise and worship. Praise his name. When I got saved, I found this huge lapel pin. It had the words, I love Jesus. And I made sure that everywhere I went, it was on my chest. I did not care what anybody. Sure, I wanted everybody. I got pictures to prove it, by the way. Like I would go everywhere with that lapel pin. It says, I love Jesus. I wasn't afraid. I knew what he had done for me. Yes, Hosanna, the son of David, please save me. He had saved me. When he saves you, when he saves us, oh, we cannot stay silent.
We cannot keep quiet. That's why the crowds coming in with Jesus, everybody, this joy and celebration, they recognize what the Savior has done for them. Much forgiveness leads to much love and to much praise. Let's not judge people sometimes when you see them so passionate for Jesus. You don't know where they've been. Look at this story here. Jesus one time went to visit a Pharisee. He went to the house and this woman came in and she had the most expensive oil in her hands. And boy, she just began to wash Jesus' feet with, with her hair. And, and, and the Pharisees were indignant about that gesture of love. So Jesus said, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with her perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. It was not a difficult thing for the crowds to take out their outer garments and lay them on the ground for the king. We give it all for him when he has touched our hearts. We give it all for him. We don't reserve anything. Praise his name. We give it all. We surrender our lives to him. We praise him. We rejoice. We keep talking about him wherever we go. And that leads into the second and the final point that I had here today. It leads us to a place where we are ready to share the gospel. You know, God begins to develop a, a, a willingness to share the gospel. This is why I say new believers are great in churches because they do evangelism. They tell everybody about Jesus. The more we grow in holiness, and, well, we, we, we lose unsaved friends. I guess that's a reality, and, and rightly so. The more we grow in, in, in likeness with God, the more our friends become more church friends rather than, you know, lost friends. And, and that's the way it should be because we want to hang around with people of like mind and faith to encourage us. But here's an opportunity for us to be ready to share the gospel. Verses 10 and 11. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from, uh, from Nazareth in Galilee. The Jewish historian Josephus says, the Passover feast drew great crowds of Jews to Jerusalem. And these large gatherings made the Roman authorities nervous. One thing I discovered I was preparing for this message, and sometimes we wonder, why is the crowd praising Jesus one minute, and the next minute they are crucifying, they are crying to crucify him? And one commentator noticed very uh, 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 greatly that these were two different kinds of crowds. There was the crowd that was in Jerusalem, but then there was the crowds from upper north in Galilee. These were two different types of crowds. So one crowd is coming with Jesus all the way from Galilee from the north. 
praising and shouting his name, entering into a city where there's a different kind of crowd. Racially speaking, the crowd from Galilee was more mixed than the conservative crowd in Jerusalem. Geographically speaking, Galilee in the north, where Jesus spent most of his ministry time, was separated from Jerusalem by the non-Jewish territory of Samaria. Therefore, moving from north to south was not too frequent. Politically speaking, the crowd from Galilee was considered more liberal than the south, where the temple was located. Economically, the crowd from Galilee was better off than their Jerusalem counterparts. Culturally speaking, Judeans despised their northern neighbors as country cousins and for their lack of Jewish sophistication. And one commentator noticed that linguistically, a Galilean in Jerusalem was like an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us. It was a hostile environment. Jerusalem was hotbed for crisis. And so the crowds begin to ask, who is this? It was the right question, but they got an incomplete answer. Right question, who is this? Incomplete answer. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And we know that Jesus was more than a prophet. When people ask you and I about Christ, how do we explain to them who Jesus is? Right? And I, and I think this is an encouragement for us to spend, to spend time growing in, in our understanding of, the, of, of who Jesus is and be able to present him accurately to people. He was more than a prophet. He was a, he was a priest in the sense that he represented us before God. With his life, he, he, he represented us before the Father. That's what a priest was. A priest was a mediator between God and the people. And Jesus was our great high priest. But he was also the king. As we read earlier today, as a king, God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and given him the name above all names by which all people are saved. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord for the glory of God. Apostle Peter in his gospel says that we always be ready in a moment's notice to give a defense to anyone who asks us the reason for our hope. Because we will be asked, we'll come across people who, uh, for example, in our worship service, and they after you know say, "Why was that preacher so loud? What was wrong with him?" <laughs> well, you can tell them, you know, I think he's found Jesus. Jesus got him, right? You know, why why was why was the band so good? Why were they so passionate? Well, we we can tell them. We can tell them why. What the reason for our hope and our joy. In our workplaces, people notice that we have peace. When we're going through loss in our lives, there's the peace of God that passes all human understanding. And they ask us, why, how are you able to deal with this? And we tell them, you know, Jesus helps me. Jesus helps me. 
were able to communicate clearly the gospel to people whenever they ask, who is this? Let's always be ready at a moment's notice that we can give an elevator speech of who Jesus is. Right? Like real quick, they're like, who is Jesus? Right? Like, like know how to communicate that. Paul says uh, finally here that put on the full armor of God. This is what we prepare. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And this is a great season to actually just kind of pray and ask God, who would I share the gospel with this Passion Week? You know, I, I, my wife and I moved, our family moved from Lake Stevens to a town home in Shoreline. And one of the things that I lost in this downsize was my grill. Like I love barbecue and I lost my grill and I, and just, just recently, I was just thinking about Easter and saying, you know, you know, because my wife and I have been, we've been trying to reach our neighbors, right? You know, like we, my wife every, uh, say Thanksgiving or Christmas, she bakes bread and she's been giving everybody her, her bread. So, so this is, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe let me have an excuse to get my grill back and I can grill some chicken for my neighbors. You know, so I've been praying, I've been praying that this coming Saturday that, that I'm going to do some grilling for neighbors and just have an open house. You know, and, and, and perhaps when they come out, you know, we celebrate Easter. I, I want to be able to, to do an intentional act showing, spreading the love of Jesus. I love what Jason Murray did. I think you sent us an email. There's a family you're supporting, right? Uh, uh, he wants us to run. I don't know whether that's going to be possible for all of us, because it's a fundraiser for uh, type 1 diabetes. I think Jason and the family, they support a family that is, uh, does, they do not know Jesus. When I read that email, I was encouraged. And I said, oh yeah, I'm not going to commit to a run right now, Jason, but I'll give to the cause. Right? So those, those are great opportunities where we can, we can share the gospel with other people. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for our King, our Lord, and our Savior who is good to us. God, you are good, you are faithful, you are kind, you are loving. All these amazing promises you gave us, Lord, oh, they are just wonderful. And we find comfort in your promises, God. Thank you for your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us, God. And this morning, God, I just want to pray if someone here does not know Jesus, that they may, they may receive the warmth of his embrace, that they may sense that Jesus loves them dearly. Jesus gave his life as our sin sacrifice. God, may you be exalted. Even as we, we get into a time of communion.